Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 1, if you would. Many years ago now, our oldest son was probably five or six, and uh, our second son was just old enough to talk. We lived in a house that was two stories. The second floor was only the master bedroom. The staircase was one of those that goes straight up in a circular motion or pattern. And uh, that's important when we get to the end of this story, you'll understand why. The floor underneath that, uh, well, all of the downstairs was tile. And uh, that's all important because one day Teresa decided that uh, she needed to go do some things which probably was code for she needed away from the children and her husband for a while. And so she went to town to do some shopping and left me in charge of the kids. Now, I called that babysitting. I've been corrected already today by two different ladies that husbands cannot babysit. You're just watching your own kids. It seemed like torture is what it seemed like. But our oldest son in those days had uh, a video game system. And uh, that was one of those Nintendo deals from way back. And uh, as his father, I felt like it was important for his development that I teach him how to compete well. And so I was smashing him in whatever game we were playing and uh, kind of forgot that I had another one there that I was responsible for. I was engaged with the one, but disengaged with the other, which in and of itself, not that big a deal until mom comes home. Because when mom came home, the first thing she does is look over to where I am with one of them, and she asks, where's the other one? And it dawned on me that we did have two children at that point. And I was watching both of them, figuratively speaking, and about that time that I was discovering how much trouble I was in, he, that is the second child, from the second floor says, Hi, Mommy. Now, I can't even begin to explain to you the emotion that went across Teresa's face. She didn't have to say a word. I just knew that somebody was in trouble, and it was probably me at that point. I want to use that as a basic point of reference this morning. Yet let that mental picture slip in. I was engaged fully with one and disengaged with the other. Does that communicate to you? All right, hold on to that. Go to Luke chapter 1. What we're going to do today is take another step in our look at these Christmas characters that we've been doing now for this the third week. My question to you as we begin this morning is... How engaged are you with God's plan for your life? Now, that's a critical question. Because my suspicion is, as we go into this, that on one side of the uh, equation, we have those of us who are somewhat engaged with God's plan for our life and largely disengaged with it. But let's see what Mary has to teach us about this this morning. As we go through this, I have three questions for us to consider. I suspect that we won't get to all of them. We may only get to one of them. But try it on for size and see what you get. Here's the first question. What is your role in God's kingdom? If you want to be fully engaged in the work that God has for us, the first question is, what is my role in God's kingdom's work. Here's a good truth to hang on to. God chooses people to do the work. 
Now, I know that that's kind of one of those no-brainer statements. You know, you're sitting there going, duh, I guess he does. But I want us to really wear that for a little bit this morning. God chooses people to do his work. We find that in the Christmas story. And we've been focusing all morning in the music uh, on Mary's role in that. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, uh, 28. Let's start at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now before we go any further, let's stop and do a little bit of digging on this little section that we just read. Remember, the truth is that God chooses people in His kingdom's work. And this that we just read takes that little truth and just explodes it onto the scene of our reality. What we find here, as God brings this promise to Mary and as He pulls Mary into the story, into a lead role, We find this basic truth that when we really stop and think about it ought to blow our minds at least a little bit. Because this thing that we call salvation history was a long process with God. You go backwards to the Garden of Eden. God created all that was. He created man, Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve made a choice that put the the, uh, penalty of sin into, introduced it into the human condition. So from the very beginning, we find this move that man rebels against God and it puts us in a position of need. And God begins immediately. We pick up the story in Genesis chapter 12 and God takes this guy named Abraham and he says, I have a plan for you. Now, this is an example of this whole premise that we're starting with this morning. Abraham's just a guy. He's off doing his stuff in what would be modern-day Iraq. And God breaks into his reality. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. And he says to him, Abraham, I have a plan for you. And he moves him from there to another place. He says, get up and leave. I'll show you when you get to where you're supposed to be. And in a series of these revelations from God to Abraham, Abraham finds out that he is a lead role player in all of salvation history. And from Abraham, God creates a people. And those people then begin to follow the Lord and not follow Him, maybe better said, over a period of time. And God continues to work through them. And ultimately, we find ourselves with Mary. And now God says to Mary, you have a piece to play in this thing that is called salvation history. Just an ordinary person. And God says to her, step up, because here we go. Now, we all know that. I I just spent a few minutes giving us information that we all know. It's part of 
our biblical learning stuff. So let's take the obvious next step. The obvious next step is if God's willing to do what he did with Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets and one person after another and the judges of the Old Testament, as we see God doing that historically, we have to come home and put that truth to work in our own lives. God chooses people today in his work. Let's take it even closer to home than that. God chooses you in his kingdom's work. Are you engaged in that or disengaged? We've known through history people that we could go and point out to them. Great preachers like Billy Graham. Whoever your favorite preacher happens to be. We know that in our current setting here at church that we have Sunday school teachers and we believe that God has said to those people, uh, I have, my plan for you is to teach my people. And he gives you the gifts that you need, those of you who are teachers, to stand up there, whether it's with adults or children or whatever it happens to be, and say, this is what God's word has to say to our lives. We see those things as callings. But we make the mistake when we buy into a mentality that says that professional group of people called clergy... They're the only ones that God really calls. Or my Sunday school teacher is the only one that God really calls into ministry these days. The fact of the matter is God calls you no matter what your role is. He has something, some role for you to play in his kingdom's work. Now, maybe the good question to follow up is, some of us may be sitting here today saying, okay, if if I'm even going to accept that, and some of you are not too sure about that, If I even accept that God calls people and he might be calling me to do something in this work, how do I know what that is? It's not a bad question, but I'm not sure that it's the best question. Here's what I mean by that. I think I made reference to this last week or maybe it was a week before. I don't remember what I say up here. Um, That's not really true. I sort of do, but I was trying to let you off the hook a little bit. One of the things that is, is really problematic for us in living by faith, which is the way God calls us to live, it's problematic for us when we jump to the how question. We are concerned with how. We get God's message to us, and it's, then the immediate question is, so how's that going to work? By the way, that's Mary's question here. Did you notice that? Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how would this be since I'm a virgin? Let me tell you, that's an operative question. Think about what she was just told. She knows that she's a virgin. She knows that it's physically impossible for that to happen. She's like us. She jumps to the how question. Okay, God, how's this going to be? But you see, the how question is not the best question. How do you know what God has specifically called you to do in his kingdom's work? Here's my best answer for you. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Now, I know that that sounds like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. Out of one side, I'm saying, you need to know what God's calling you to do. The other side, I'm saying, don't worry about how to know that. Here's my basic premise on this. Our primary responsibility with God is to be in position with him to hear what he has to say. To listen 
to what he's saying to us so that we might know the things that impact our lives as he gives them to us. Let me put it this way. If I pick up the phone and call my mother, first of all, she's going to have a heart attack that I called in the first place. All right? But as soon as I say something to her, she's going to say something to me that identifies me, the fact that she knows that it's me calling Okay, now I know we have caller ID and all that kind of stuff. This is beyond that, okay? She knows my voice. Now, how do you suppose my mother knows that? She raised me. She's heard my voice more than she wants to probably most of the time. If she calls me, I know that it's her. As soon as she says anything, I recognize her voice. And that same thing holds true for us in our relationship with God. If you're sitting here today and you buy into what I've said already, which is God chooses people in his kingdom's work. If you're sitting here and you believe that, then the question, how do I know God is saying it, is a moot question if you're walking with him and you know his voice. So rather than getting caught up in the how do I know, my suggestion to you is as a first step, you just position yourself to hear from him. So how engaged with him at that level are you? One of the things that I'm afraid has been true of our brand of Christianity over the last, uh, well, in my lifetime, let's say it that way, has been that we have been really guilty of trying to get people saved, uh, you know, eternally redeemed, and then we leave them there. It's like going to a wedding and the bride and the groom get married and the groom just leaves the bride sitting on the front pew while he goes on about his life. Well, that's kind of what we have tended to do in Baptist circles. Our job as ministers, by the way, those of you whose calling is to teach, this is part of your job too. It's to disciple people so that they're in position with Christ on a day-to-day basis, so that they can hear what he has to say, so that he can direct their lives, so that they can be the kind of people they need to be in the kingdom's work, and their life is fulfilled in the process. So position yourself. That's the first thing that I would say to you tied to all of this. Let's try it this way. One of the things that Baptists are really big on are seminars, Bible studies. We pay people... To get in a room and teach a Bible study, kind of like we do over here without paying people, and then we buy their materials and we sit people in classrooms and watch the tape so that somebody who doesn't know us at all can say, this is what God's plan for your life is. Something about that seems backwards to me. Do you think that Mary, before the angel showed up, you think that she maybe was involved in a video curriculum series called How to Know God's Plan for Your Life. That seems a little ridiculous, doesn't it? But do you think she got the message that God had a plan for her life? Now, here's the deal. If God needs to, he'll send an angel to you. All right? Present company, not excluded. Whatever. I'm not the angel. All right? But you knew that already. God... Old Testament tells me that God can use a donkey to talk to you. Well, now now we're into my territory. Listen, it is not a big, huge secret with God about what he wants you to do with your life. It's not a secret. 
He wants you to know. So put yourself in position to hear from him. That's what we find with Mary at this particular point. And he sent an angel so that she could get it, and she did get it. But my concern for us today is that churches all across America and maybe the world are packed full of people who are largely disengaged with God. It's that... And let me go ahead and finish the story, because if you talk to Teresa about this babysitting story, excuse me, watching the kids, well, she was gone and I was in charge. Um, If you talk to her about it, she won't give you this part of it. Because she was gone, she doesn't know. I regularly checked on that other kid, okay? I did. Like, regularly, like every hour. Colin, you all right? Well, that's kind of how a lot of us do with God, isn't it? Every once in a while, we kind of check in. God, you still there? Okay. I'm going back to what I'm engaged in, which is living or whatever it happens to be. And it's times like we've gone through over the last three or four days as a nation that people wholesale turn back to God and say, you need to help us through this. Except some people are not in position enough even to turn to God and say that. So what they do is they turn to God and say, how could you let this happen? Now, I'm going to put something on my blog about this uh, either tomorrow or the next day. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here responding to what happened in Connecticut and our perception of that. But I think it is one of those times that just underscores how disengaged we are as a country with God. How engaged are you with Him and with His plan for your life, where you plug in with Him? That's one truth. God chooses people and His plans work. But here's, I'm going to add one word to it. God chooses unlikely people in his plans work. See, I I know for a fact, I've been involved with church people for too long uh, to ignore this. For me to stand up here and to take 15 minutes or so as I've done to talk about God has a place for you to serve in his kingdom's work today. People hear that and immediately default to God can't use me. Now we go there for a number of reasons. Some people go there because some church people have told them you can't be used by God anymore because you're just too dirty. You're just too wicked. You're just too experienced. God could never use you. There's a theological term for that. I've been trying to teach this term to you for a year and a half now. What's the term? Baloney. That is theological baloney. It is not possible for you to be so messed up that God cannot use you. Did you hear that? 
Because I believe in any time we as a church gather together, I don't mean just us, I'm talking about the church. When we get together, there are some people who come in with enough personal baggage that they hear this and they say, Preacher, if you just knew what I'm doing in my life, you'd know God can't use me. That's baloney. You know how I know that to be true? I look back through Scripture and I see God using... What about King David? You remember the guy I'm talking about? The Lord is my shepherd. I, you know, Psalm 23 and King David and the, you know, David and Goliath and all of that kind of stuff. David was a murdering philanderer. And the Bible says he was a man after my own heart. Not because of those things, but because of how those things moved him to God and how he lived his life on a daily basis. If you're here today and you think you're just beyond hope as it relates to God's kingdom's work, you're wrong, and I'm glad to tell you you're wrong. We have people, self-appointed policemen in the church these days who are really happy to go around and see to it that people they don't think are up to it can't work in God's kingdom. Who are you listening to, really, on a deal like that? I knew of a guy back years ago, played softball, uh, our church in Odessa, this was when my dad was pastoring and I was a teenager and uh, we were going into softball season and they had lowered the age enough where 13-year-olds could play in the men's church softball league. And so one of the 13-year-old guys in our church decided he wanted to play and he signed up and then within a week or so he came forward and he told the coach, I'm not going to play after all. And uh, he talked about it and that guy ended up talking to the pastor about it and all of that Bottom line is, pastor sat down with this guy, and he began to talk to this kid about why he wasn't going to play. And he said this. He said, you know, uh, I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of a nobody, uh, and I know that. And this other kid, and I need to tell you about this other kid, he was the same age as the one I've been talking about, went to a different school, and he was Mr. Wonderful at that school. Does that communicate to you? Mr. Wonderful, you know. The athlete and the popular guy and all that stuff, which for most of us at this age we go, who cares? But for a 13-year-old, it's the world. And this kid said to the pastor, that guy told me he doesn't want me to play, so I'm not going to play. Now, before I go any further, let me just stop there and make sure you're making the connection. We have church people who say that to other people. We're going to do this in our church, but, oh, you really, I really don't want you there. Oh, no, they don't come out and say it that way but they certainly do infer it and sometimes they even go to great lengths to say you know what you just can't do this you don't rate high enough the pastor with that little guy said this or something to this effect who do you think you are which is a strange way to say it who do you think you are to listen to some other kid tell you who you are And in that discussion, it began to resonate for this 13-year-old guy. Hey, he shouldn't be able to tell me I can't play. And so he played. And you know what? By the end of the season, that kid who wasn't going to play because Mr. Wonderful didn't want him to play, that kid won Most Valuable Player on the Team Award at the end of the season. Would have missed it all by listening to what somebody else said. Let me tell you something. If you're here today... And you're not serving because what somebody else said about you. Well, you know, 
God won't use people with green eyes. You believe that? I don't believe it either. Sometimes the reason they give for people not to serve are about as ridiculous as that. I could get specific, but I don't want to get too specific because I don't want anybody here to feel like I'm picking on you at all. Listen, if no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how dirty you've been in your life, God has a plan for you. He chooses unlikely people. Look at Mary for that. Here's, well, let's just kind of stack them up for you. First of all, Mary was an unlikely person to be such a lead role in salvation history's greatest moment to that point. She was a Jew, after all. Here's what I mean by that. Jews were insignificant people on the world stage at that time. The Romans were the ones who had conquered the world. Caesar was the one who ruled the world as far as he was concerned, as far as they were concerned. The Roman army was at his command. He could have picked anybody he wanted to be the number one person lead role in this drama. And of all people, God continues to use the Jew here. If that's not enough for you, Mary was also, this will be a shock to you, a woman. And in first century Jewish life, who would ever believe that God would choose to use a woman? By the way, there would be those in this world today who would say the same thing. And they're wrong. God has a plan For you, no matter how unlikely, no matter what other people tell you, God has a plan that involves you. She was a Jew. She was a woman. She was from Nazareth. Even the king said, does anything good come from Nazareth? An insignificant village in the middle of nowhere, as far as the Romans were concerned. Unlikely but chosen. And here's the real kicker. This group should like this. Last week I talked about her being betrothed. I went through some of the background on that. I'm not going to do all that again, but here's one of the things I didn't say last week that I want to be sure and get in this week. The traditional age of betrothal for a Jewish girl in the first century was 12 or 13 years of age. If she really came from a poor family and wasn't very good looking at all and nobody wanted her, sometimes it would stretch to 14 or 15 years of age. You know what that means to us? It means that almost certainly Mary was a teenager. Oh my goodness, could God use a teenager in his kingdom's work? I don't know, I've known a bunch of teenagers i got to tell you, I thought about that one enough to say, do I even want to preach this sermon? I've known some teenagers. I was a teenager at one time. I was a bad teenager at one time. And the answer is absolutely. God chooses the most unlikely people to do His kingdom's work. So please don't sit there today and take whatever it is that other people might have said or whatever it is that you've used to convince yourself that it's okay to just sit on the sidelines while God works around you. God chooses people, some of them terribly unlikely people, but he uses them in his kingdom's work. So what about you? What limitations do you have? 
What are you listening to from other people that you use to build this wall around you that says, I don't want to get involved. You're sitting on the sidelines. I don't want to get in the game. I don't want to do that. God uses what we typically call nobodies in his kingdom's work. There are no nobodies with God, by the way, but he typically uses what society would call a nobody. Take, for instance, a friend of mine. He's a pastor today. He had learning disabilities. When he was in school, he would be the first to tell you that he had a very difficult time connecting the dots in the education process. But as an older teenager, he went off on one of these summer things where he went to a camp, and it was for special needs children. And while he was at that camp working with special needs children as a sponsor, he came up against this one kid who had some developmental issues more severe than what his were. And he said, in the process of talking to him, this kid with the special needs, developmentally behind, said to him, do you know Jesus is your Savior? And my friend Johnny said it's the first time that he'd ever been hit up like that. He said, I don't know how to answer that. And that kid that society said was on the sidelines of life led this guy to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That guy followed the Lord in such a way that today he pastors a church and he goes back to that day and he would be the one to say to us as a church, don't sign anybody in kingdom work because God can use nobodies. God is not limited by your limitations. It's time for us to get fully engaged. What if Mary would have said, nah. Gabriel stands with a message from God that brings her to the awareness that she is the one that God will use to bring the Messiah. And she listened to society that said, a Nazarene teenager? Nah. I believe God would have found another way. But I don't think we would have known who Mary was had she said, nah. The reality is that on this day, God says to you, no matter your president or pauper, I have a plan for you. There's work for you to do in my kingdom. Are you fully engaged? or not. Bow your heads with me, if you will. Really, the question here is, what am I doing in my Christian life? I don't want to be guilty of bringing you to the point of trying to talk you into just doing stuff. That's not at all what this message is. Mary teaches us That God says to us, I have a role for you to play. And it may not be anything that you would even dream about. Nevertheless, the call keeps coming. And even now, the Holy Spirit's working in your life. and Thoughts are going through your head and stuff that you hadn't thought about before you walked in here today. And God's saying, I have a plan for you. And maybe you're locked up on that. Well, how am I going to know that? The, The answer to that is you take a step to say, God, I trust you. I want to walk with you. Help me walk with you closely. 
and then you set about doing that. And so, Father, we come before you at this time, a critical moment in this hour, where we are making decisions about whether we will listen to your voice, listen for your voice, or just go on about our business as we have. Father, I believe that you're at work in the lives of people. Maybe you're calling some to preach. Maybe you're calling some to full-time mission work. I don't know what you're doing. But I do know that you have a place for each of us. No matter how trivial the job may seem, you have a place for us in your kingdom's work. So please make it clear and give us enough discomfort with this that we have to act on it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.